welcome bbb army welcome back to our show bbb army hearts to hearts i am rude and i'm nicole and bbb army we have we have andy beersack on our show hello i'm here i'm here to tell my bbb fan story uh and <laughs> my history of the band no i i'm here i want to say before we go any further into this i want to say a sincere thank you to everybody who comes on this show and tells their story of their fandom and most importantly a sincere thank you to ruth and nicole for doing this show um the reason that i wanted to come on today is because i think this is awesome and i really want uh you know the fact that people take their time to talk about this thing that for me i dreamed up when i was 16 years old and now with the you know the help of my brothers in the band i've been able to make happen for going on 20 years at this point, uh, the fact that people want to talk about it every week is incredible and humbling. And I'm really just so incredibly appreciative. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. Thank you to everybody who's ever been a guest on this show. Thank you to everybody who's ever going to be a guest on this show. And if you're a fan watching this for the first time, because I'm on the show, I hope that you go look at the back catalog of all the episodes and watch every single one because it, it, it's an incredible thing. And if you're a fan of the band, there's no other podcast in the world talking about Black Hill Prides every week. At least I don't think so. And if there is, uh, they don't have as good a branding as you. So uh, the congratulations on that. Um, anyway, so now it, I, I've said my preamble. I'm here for the show. Whatever it is that you want to ask me, uh, <laughs> let's let's go for it. I mean, I think this was a funny, silly question just to so kind of break the ice with us and our anxiety right now. It's like, how does one English with you? Because I feel like a lot of fans, when they meet you for the first time, they're like, I can't speak prose. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to comment on how people react to you because I've been only ever been me. So I don't necessarily know what it is to experience someone else uh, meeting me. But I guess I would chalk that up to, you know, I can I can tell you stories of when I was a, uh, a fan of bands and meeting them. And, and the one that is particularly, uh, I don't know if I've ever even told this story. I'm sure I've told it at some point, but not a lot. When we were doing the Knives and Pens video, you know, I didn't have a lot of like connection. I had no connections at all. And through MySpace, which was, you know, the, the way that we communicated back in those days, I had gotten the attention somehow of the bass player of a band called 18 Visions, which was when I was in high school, you know, there was kind of a, a big deal band and very big in the kind of like metal core, what they called then bands from Orange County, like Avenged Sevenfold and 18 Visions. It was kind of stuff that was, um, you know, super influential to the early part of Blackville, especially. And uh, their bass player, who's unfortunately uh, since passed, his name was Mick Death. And I thought he was the coolest looking dude in the whole world. And he reached out and said that he liked our band and liked what we were doing and, you know, what I had going on at the time. And he had a clothing line called Deathless Clothing, I think. And he offered to give us T-shirts to wear in the music video. So if you've seen the Knives and Pens video, in the scenes where it's the black background and I'm wearing a shirt that has the skull, that's like a heart, uh, that was given to me by uh, Mick Death of, of 18 Visions. Uh, first of all, I, I couldn't afford an apartment or anything. So I was staying with somebody or living out of my car, or whatever. But so I was staying with somebody at the time and I had Mick Death drive to this apartment complex that I'm at. I'm 17 years old and I had to like act super cool. It was the first time I had ever seen somebody who was on the internet, like walking by me in real life. And like, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing when you when you first experience somebody that you've only ever seen on either your computer screen or nowadays it would be phone screen 
and then you see them moving and breathing and and speaking it's a it's kind of a jarring thing so i just remember sitting there and being like trying to 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 figure out how i could maintain some level or semblance of being cool uh, under the, uh, the the pressure situation of meeting somebody who in my mind didn't really exist they were just a person from like music videos or the internet and so i can understand that where there's there's a disconnect when you meet somebody um even if you've met them a million times that if you don't know them personally they only represent the version of them that you have in your mind and so i think we have a problem as as people being able to put together the narrative we have about that person associated with the memories that we have from their art and then the reality of them being like an actual person who you know like ate a sandwich and took that day you know what i mean like it's, it's a very different they're different versions of what humanity is so long version uh, uh, of an answer but i think there's no way to know how you're going to approach somebody that you idolize or look up to just know that again everybody took a that day and i think that might help a little bit <laughs> it humanizes people we're, Ruth and I, we deal with a lot of anxiety, and I know it's been said in your book that you also have dealt with anxiety, and we yeah. would really like to know just how do you overcome anxiety? Um, I don't know that there's a way to like overcome um, in totality the idea of feeling that way, because there are days where you wake up and you just feel this sense of dread, and it's inexplicable, and you know, no matter what is said or done or or whatever you do, you just, you have to figure out how to power through that or deal with that. Um, for me personally, so much of it has come down to really leaning into the things that I enjoy and not a, like, you know, sometimes in life, we have a tendency to view hobbies or passions or things we collect or things that we do, whatever, as extra things that you do, as opposed to integral things for you as a person. And I have really in my life tried to view sitting down and painting as just as important to my life as eating that day or whatever else, because for my personally, for my own mental health and the way that I get through days, so much of it is centered on the creation of something. And, you know, that could be as simple as cleaning something or painting something or dreaming something up or looking at dumb toys that I want to buy or whatever it is like that's the kind of stuff that while it is often perceived culturally as secondary to the things that actually matter in your life I have found that to take time with the things that bring you unabashed joy is extremely important to be able to put at bay the things that are bringing you the misery and fear and anxiety and, and hopelessness because if you can focus long enough on something that is just purely golden joy for you, the intrusive thoughts of the anxiety are almost forced away because you're not giving them the time. You're not allowing that to take hold of your thought process. You know, it's not a, it's certainly not a solution to the idea, but for me, the biggest coping mechanism I have and that I try to employ on a daily basis is to take time for things that really bring me unabashed joy, you know? And I know for all of us, you know, whether it's your your spouse or your pets, or like I said, comic books for me or whatever it is, there's there's so many things that can do that. And to check in with yourself and remind yourself that it's it's of the utmost importance that you're taking care of yourself, um, I think is is the most important thing you can do. But it's also like the truth of the matter is that it's different for everybody, you know. And I think sometimes people 
in the age of the internet, when everybody has the solutions to everything and everybody has a life hack and there's a TikTok video explaining how you should live your life, I think sometimes people forget that nothing is a one-size-fits-all. So all I can do is hopefully give you a suggestion, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. We all have our different ways to comfort ourselves when we're in that realm of anxiety, for sure. So <laughs> my next question is, the song Lost It All, I would say, is mm -hmm. a lot of fans' favorite. A lot of fans relate to that song personally and, for one, got a lot of tattoos. It was my first Black Bride's tattoo I ever got. Most fans know the meaning of the song, of the whole message of that song. But was there, like, inspiration or backstory for you to write that song? You know, that song took the longest on that record to do. It started with kind of just, like, a small idea. And it, I've always been the proudest of that song. I was When people ask me, like, historically, what's one of the songs that you're the most proud of? Not just because I think it turned out to be one of, in terms of our canon, one of our best songs, but the process that it took to go from a song that was essentially unlistenable in its early stages to a song that is you know, I believe to be one of the better ones we've done because we had never done anything like that. You know, we had done Savior and, and Carolyn and some ballads before, but nothing on the scale of, you know, these massive changes shift wise in terms of the tone in the song and really trying to employ horn sections and, you know, backup singers and all this stuff. It was it was a dream that I had to really make this feel this way and then i would drive in my car to it was about an hour and 15 minute drive every day at the studio and i would listen to versions of that song through the course of making that record that sounded closer and closer and closer to what you now know is that song but in the early days and i'm not just exaggerating like it it sucked like it was not good because it because we didn't structurally there were so many things that needed to be put in line for it to work that when you were just listening to the rough demo, the parts didn't go together. And, you know, like we were, it's, you're, you're trying to figure out how to, how to bake the cake, so to speak, how to put in all the ingredients that, that make it work as, as a, as a single thing. Um, and I think lyrically, it, I had always wanted to touch on the concept that, and this was kind of the beginning of the kind of self-helpy kind of thing of, of, you know, the it's okay to not be okay type of thing and, and all that kind of stuff. But it was almost always, I was seeing it marketed as uh, like a marketing technique. Like it was always, it never felt like it was being spoken about in the true terms of there are an infinite number of moments that you experience in your life that will punch you in the gut and leave you breathless. And uh, everyone is experiencing those. And there isn't in life, there really isn't, and to speak to what I just said a minute ago, there isn't necessarily one single solution to those things. And sometimes it's okay to stay down on the ground when you've got your, your air punched out and take the time that you need to figure out what your next step is going to be and to, to take stock of yourself in that moment. And I really wanted to be able to convey that lyrically in a song. And I think that maybe that's one of the things that connects with people. Hopefully it's one of the things that connects with people is but the message is not, it's not one of, of sadness, but it is also not of overt triumphantness. It's just the reality that sometimes things, sometimes things are too big to know how to handle them right away. And the hope is that in your life, you were able to 
gain the tools that are needed to be able to to get through those situations. I sort of look at life as this sort of empty toolbox that we have when we're when we're little, right? And we're given this box and you've got like half a wrench and you know a couple screws and then through your life the experiences that you have and the times that you learn you're gaining new tools so that hopefully by the time you're old that toolbox is totally full and you know how to handle every situation that might come at you and in that song i'm speaking about not only me at 20 years old writing it but the audience that were similar in age to me and people that felt similar to me where our toolbox is far from full and knowing how to deal with things at that time I mean, that song has impacted everyone. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for listening. Uh, (laughs) You know, it was, and, and it's been, it's also just, you know, for us, for, for me and Juliet, the the reality that a song that has meant so much to um, the fan base and has been such an impactful song in our life and career is one that we got to share together, um, you know, and we got to perform it on stage together um, with Lil Zar obviously was on, uh, the most recent Black Belt tour in the UK, and that was a really special moment. It was the first time we ever got to do that song together live. You know, and and it's also like the whole thing just feels like this snapshot. I think one of the things that for me is really unique is because I was so young when we started when certain records like when i when we go on tour i put together the playlist of what the the set list is that we've put together right and generally speaking what will happen is a couple months before the tour i will come up with what i would like the set list to be and then i will send it to the guys and go how does this look and then the guys will make adjustments and then we go from there and so once that set list is sort of where it should be i will then spend most of my days listening back to those songs and making sure that I'm familiarized myself with stuff that you'd think I would know by now, but I really want to make sure that, you know, when we've got as many albums as we do, that I know all the words and I can sing them effectively. And so every time that song comes on or any of those from that era, it's it's interesting for me to hear myself talking to me in a way um, from... 12 years ago, 13 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it is. Well, once again, it's an incredible song and we do appreciate it very much. I, I can speak for a lot of fans that we're very grateful that you created that beautiful song with all the collaborations with that song. So Thanks, guys. You're too nice. Too nice. <laughs> Compliments. I'm gonna get also, a, I'm gonna by get the a, way, Nicole and I freaked out when we saw the London clips when you, Lilith, uh, Juliet, and you guys performed Lost It All. We're like, what yeah we were waiting for that to be a thing yeah we wanted to wait until the london show to have the real special moment plus we had confetti i mean what what's better than confetti in that kind of a moment so you know it's true it was it was a lot of fun and something that was really special and also you know the next day was her birthday so it was like kind of a really fun way of celebrating stuff kicking off the birthday Uh, what influence do the fans have if any on your creative process or live performances it's varying i suppose in the capacity that don't want to i think the best artists are the ones that attempt to give you something that they think you might enjoy as opposed to trying to give you something that they've heard that you like because if you're making art off the back of what you guys have said you want then in some ways you're you're insulting the audience because you're you're assuming that Everyone in your fan base feels the same way. Everyone that is around you has the same perspective. And also 
you're not creating anything. You're just essentially giving some things to somebody that is asked for it in a way. And but there's a, there's kind of a, a line you walk there because by the same token, I don't want to make music that you guys are gonna go. It's like why the fuck? like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I thought I thought he got us, and then you put out a record, and and I've had that. You know, as a kid, there were tons of bands that I loved that. All of a sudden, they just I was like, what the are you doing? Like this is not this isn't what I signed up for. Like I'm in your fan club, man. Like what? Why are you? Why did you abandon us? Um, so I definitely want to to keep an eye on the perspective of the audience, but I also never want to be in a position where I'm pandering to you and trying to have the pretense that I know what you're gonna like. Because it seems it's a little infantilizing of your audience to uh, act as if you know what they want and that you are somehow the sort of arbiter of good taste. You know what I mean? Like for me, the best I can do is. I really love this. I hope you guys like it. And I hope it resonates with you. And the worst thing I think I could do would be to sit down with the band and go, all right, guys, let's, let's see what, let's see what the people are saying today and try to write songs like that. Because ultimately you're behind the eight ball and you're, you're writing something that isn't for you. It's for a commercial idea that might, you might in some way might be influenced to have success or something else. So uh, the reason I say it's complicated is it's kind of a double-edged thing in the sense that I'm always mindful and thankful of the fans and I want to give you guys something that you're really going to enjoy. On the other side, I want to make sure that what we're doing is true to, you know, like if I'm in this room making the Blackbird costume, ultimately my, in my mind, I'm thinking, I think the fans are going to love this, but I'm also thinking I love what I'm doing and this is a really cool thing. So that's the marriage that you're always looking for is, mm -hmm you're really excited about something and then you go man i can't wait for people to see this because i think they're gonna love this you know i think that's what we all kind of strive for no and that makes sense too it does so this one my cousin gave me this idea for this question so okay song you've ever heard from a singer or a band that you wish you ever written first there's so many <laughs> uh so many where you listen to it and go like man that is just such a good song and i can't even name any because there's so many like i'll hear i'll hear a melody and it can be something that's totally not genre-wise, like something that we do. I'll hear, you know, Juliet will bring home stuff, Lilith stuff, and I'll be like, man, like that, you know, like I, there's, there, I just, I think as a songwriter in general, you're always listening for that kind of stuff. So when you hear a hook or you hear a turn, or you hear a line in a song, there's a song, um, an Alkaline Trio song that was unreleased called In My Stomach that there's so many lyrics in that song that I... I'm so angry that I didn't think of like that. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, oh, that's genius. Um, so that, you know, there's a bunch, but I would say to a certain degree, you're, you're always kind of listening to stuff. And and if you hear something that's really special, I'd like to think that I, regardless of what genre it is, I can understand when something really had, like is, is a cut above or, or a line or a, a whatever it is. Um, you know. So it's incredible the amount of support that you have gotten from your parents since being a kid kid they've always believed in you and they have never stopped and we would kind of like to know in what ways would you say that has helped you on your road to success well it's sort of like i said before i've never been anybody else so i don't know any other way but the truth is that i have by virtue of being in this industry i have witnessed that it's more often the case that people have not had that support system than do have what I've been able to grow up with, what what Lilith has, what mem you know the members of my band all have good relationships with their families, you know. But a lot of the time, that's not the case. And so I would say that just in the direct experience that I have with both myself and Juliet, like we both have extraordinarily dedicated and kind and loving families who support 
you know, wear the t-shirts, want to be a part of it, you know, all this stuff. And that, I think it really is, it's something so special for an artist to feel that sense of, you know, it's like a hug when, when you, when you need it kind of thing. The idea that so much of the world, if you're someone who's creatively inclined, so much of the world can feel sort of like upside down, you know, and, and your social interactions or being out in the world, like things that, and not even necessarily musicians, but just anyone who feels creatively inclined or, you know, sees things slightly different or left of center or whatever you want to say, there so much of the world can feel bleak and odd and like you don't belong in certain social circumstances or whatever it is. So to have a an unwavering um, familial thing there where you have something that no matter what is going on, you know that there's this support system, that there's this love. Um, I count myself extremely lucky for that. And I, and I, I, you know, I don't want to say that it's necessary because I know many people who have not had that and their chosen family has represented that for them. And, you know, I just think it's regardless of anything else, I happen to be very lucky that my parents are that way. Regardless, I think it's important to find that support structure in your life of people that really are rooting for you and care about you. I mean, this is a side comment, but like, your parents, Chris and Amy, I mean, they are such supportive parents. And obviously your dad, Chris, he gives a spotlight to all the fans and the BBB army. Like Nicole and I were very grateful when we went to the Cincinnati show during the Trinity of Terror, like two, and got to meet them finally. It's like, it was just like, whoa, like they are such gems, honestly. So yeah, I feel extremely lucky. You know, it's, it's kind of odd for us because, you know, I didn't have any, like, really, I mean, I had maybe a handful of tertiary friends here and there as a kid I, did, I wasn't very social so um you know it was just the three of us and my my dog copper and our cat minx who hated us uh the dog copper loved us but minx didn't like us at all and that was it you know for my whole childhood i would have again minor friendships come and go but for the most part it was just the three of us and so the fact that i have existed as an adult in this very public sphere um has invited you know people like yourselves and all these other people to kind of get to know the world that I was uh, had grown up in and you know whether it's my book or, or interviews I've done to be able to speak about um the support that they've given me and and how integral it is to who I am uh it, it means a lot to be able to have that so I'm glad to know that you guys enjoyed meeting them and uh I would agree that they're the best oh uh... what about what about you guys well, I'm going to answer all of your questions but do you want I'm like to I feel like I feel bad that I haven't prepared any questions for you. I mean, if you have any, go for it. We're I'll try to think of a few. I want it before we're done here. I got to okay. ask you a few questions of you guys. All right. Okay. Noted. Has there ever been a mistake in your career that you've really learned from from making that mistake? Uh, yeah, I mean, so many. But, yeah. You know, you. it's more about, it's not about strategic mistakes. You know, I try to look back at choices that were made in terms of producers and records and timelines. And I've always been regardless of where I was at in terms of my personal demons or whatever it was, I've always been really, really focused on those types of moves. And, you know, I would say that whether a record did really well or not, I am am proud of the decisions that were made and the songs that were put out. And some songs I love more than others, but um, on that part of it, you know, I I would say that I, I feel good about our track record. But as far as, you know, personal things, being a drunk on stage and yelling at people is not my favorite thing you know there's just a lot of stuff that while i i can understand the impetus for some of it for my younger self um i do have regret for 
just being allowing myself to sort of uh, feel that level of anger on a consistent basis. But you know, again, you learn from all those things. And I don't know, it's so hard, because you have to understand that as as a young kid, especially, I felt so much anger towards the people who would make fun of me or mistreat me or, you know, belittle me. And so as a young adult now in a band, we're getting just constantly talked on from publications or heavy metal fans or whatever you want to say it i felt like you know the way i compare it is you know like in the in the power rangers show in the old days they had like the megazord right where they all came together and created one giant power ranger in many ways the representation of like my childhood trauma of dealing with that shit the reality of now having the success where we're kind of punching bags for major publications for other bands to talk shit you know the number of bands that i i'll see people in at blackfield shows in t-shirts of bands that were like the singer would say vile things about me as like a 19 year old on the internet you go like i i mean i let it go of course but it's there's so many things that when i was so young i just felt such a chip on my shoulder about the level of hate we received and i also let it fuel me to the capacity that i knew that if we were getting this then the people who chose to listen to us were getting it 10 times worse at school, at work, wherever they were. And so I wanted to represent and be a, you know, I guess a superhero for the people that were choosing to support us and then getting shit for it. And, you know, and and I, in many ways, I, I feel that I've done a better job at that since I've been sober and in the later part of my career so far to be able to be more eloquent in the way that I approached that. But as a kid, I just was full of piss and vinegar. And uh, so I suppose the regret that I have is just some of the times where I acted like a complete, you know, act like a jerk on stage or whatever else. But it, it was, I, I guess I can find the ways in my head that I was justifying it as a kid. I was just gonna say, I feel like in some ways, it did help a lot of kids help to stand up for themselves when they couldn't do it before. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I, I think there's certain there's certain bands and there's certain artists that, and this is not meant to be spiteful at all, but there's certain bands and artists that when they start their careers, for whatever reason, um, they are given the keys to the kingdom and everyone sort of agrees, yep, they're amazing. And then all the and then sort of every publication goes, Yep, they're incredible. And then every fan that sort of sees that and you have this immediacy of success and they're immediately accepted as their art is fantastic their aesthetics are fantastic, whatever you want to say being that blackfell was the complete opposite of that where we were basically told from the beginning that no one wants this this isn't going to succeed having dealt with that in the beginning and and openly being rejected by labels booking agents anybody to in the early days uh, it was really because of the fans that we succeeded, because it wasn't as if we were put on a pedestal and given to an audience. And I'm, again, I'm not belittling any other bands that that's the way that they find success because everything's different for everybody. But there are certain bands, and there always have been, where record one comes out and everyone goes, this is incredible. And then there's other bands where it really doesn't matter what we do ever. It will always be that, you know, we're the emo Nickelback or whatever you want to say. You know what I mean? Like shit that is set online. And, that, and I don't care. I mean, at this point, those things don't bother me. And especially any comparison that you would make to the bands of hugely successful artists is, is fine by me. But 
those things were more taken as daggers at our fans and people who expressed interest in in the band. And I'm sure, you know, you guys have black felt tattoos. Obviously you're adults now, so it's a different situation. But when you were younger, I'm sure that you got people and maybe still today, I'm sure to a certain degree, that will just be negative off the basis of the name of the band and have almost no knowledge of the band or say that we look like Kiss or whatever sort of like four different things that are said that are either meant to be insults or misguided or whatever else are used and weaponized against people that listen to this band. And so for me, I wanted to be able to find a way to empower, like you said, Nicole, people that gave us their time, money, effort, fandom, attention, love, adoration. And if I could in any way help people feel as if it was a worthwhile venture to do that, then that was really a very important goal. Now, at this point, you know, I think that while that is still ultimately super important to me, I don't want to spend my life and career railing against everyone on the internet all the time and, and getting into like internet fights all the time. If I did that, it would never end. Because on any given day, you know, there are 150 different bizarre narratives that are being written about me and crazy things that are being said or whatever it is. And if I were to wade into those waters, I would spend my whole time doing that. So that's, I suppose, where the regret comes in that if I had set the tone for myself earlier in my life that I could find a better way to represent that power and that strength and not have it be, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to fight you. You know what I mean? Like that's but I suppose everything is for the time that it's in. And when I was 20 and you guys were, you know, 13 or 12 or whatever you were, uh, me saying that just because I wear makeup doesn't mean I can't kick your ass was hopefully inspiring in a positive way. Well, I can uh, say most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> at that time, yeah, we were in high school and just like, I think for us, like when you started Blackfell Brides and your message for the outcasts, this is for the people who get mistreated for listening to they want to and just being passionate. I think that's the message that grabbed us and we're like, we appreciate Blackfell Brides because of your message. And like, yeah, we both admit like during high school, we got looked at for wearing Blackfell Brides merch, bullied. I was called an obsessed and stalker fangirl and stuff. And, you know, even through college years too, if at least for me, but like at this point, I'm like, I don't care. I love this band. Okay, yeah. honestly, so just off. Leave me the I am passionate about this band. I love this band. I'm I don't care what you call me, just fuck. See, and I and I love that because as someone who for me, like I, I have I I understand it, I think, on a on a cellular level because I mean, I'm sitting in a room right now surrounded by like hundreds of action figures, you know, like, so I, the idea of fandom and something that wearing the shirt or the button or the tattoo, whatever represents some part of you that you want others to know about you. It, it is, there is something for people that I think is so nice about having the capacity to represent something that they enjoy in their soul and have it maybe catch on with somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, you walk through the grocery store and somebody sees the thing and they acknowledge the thing and you go like, that was awesome, you know? Um, and inversely, somebody sees the thing and they talk shit about it. It's not gonna make you love that thing less. It's just gonna make you hate that person that said that to, you know? Um, so going back to that topic of 
when you were saying like songs that you have made that you liked and liked more than others. Um, so out of all the albums and all the songs that you have created over the years, which one in particular has always stuck with your heart and been your favorite? Well, I think just because of what it represents and in all likelihood will probably be the, the you know, not you never know what's going to happen, but I think it's a safe assumption that Wretched and Divine would probably be the record that we're most remembered for. Um, and it was a pivotal record in our career and also just what it took. You know, it started with I was we had gotten to the point after Set the World on Fire where I personally had become a little disillusioned with the imagery and kind of where things were going a little bit. Not that the war paint or the makeup or anything represented anything negative, but there was also this sort of unintended consequence of the glam metal sleaze rock thing that while I certainly enjoyed like Wasp and Motley Crue and a few others, like it wasn't as big of a passion of mine in particular. And it also didn't feel, it felt like a box because I've never written lyrics about like gonna drive fast and you know, like what, like all the, all this sort of like the basis of the sort of machismo macho lyrics that come along with like 80s hair metal, right? Like gonna party and some chicks, whatever, like all that stuff. Like it never, that's not what I ever wrote. So the box that the band was being put into felt creatively like it was being super constrained. And I had tried to find ways to write because also as a kid, you know, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm around this world and we had been adopted so quickly by what whatever remained of the Hollywood, LA glam metal world. Like we were the new torchbearers and all of a sudden, Sebastian Bach and Dee Snyder and Nikki Six and all these people are praising the band. And so as a kid, you know, these are people that are, are you know, massive stars in, in my mind and certainly legends in the rock world. So I really wanted to be a part of that. But I also just as a writer, like I, I was listening to Alkaline Trio and Jimmy World. I, I wasn't listening to like Striper, you know what I mean? And it's not nothing against those bands, but it wasn't my source of inspiration. So I tried a few times to write what I thought could maybe be a turn on that world. And the one, I mean, the one that famously exists is Love's and Always Fair. Love's and Always Fair is what I, I tried to write lyrically about like the person who goes to a strip club and how sort of innately sad it is. Like, and that's not really like an eighties party song, you know what I mean? But I was trying, I was like, how can I write like a sexy, you know, whatever. And then with me, it just inherently became like, this isn't a real thing. This is a fantasy. And I was trying to write from the perspective of a guy sitting there, like trying to be, and, and that's way too narrative driven to have it be like a, you know, eighties hair metal power ballad song or whatever. So I, and I'm not saying that I'm better than that. I'm saying that I am not wired creatively to write that way. And I love songs like that in a lot of cases. Like I love early Motley Crue records and, and that kind of stuff, but it's just not representative of how I think creatively or how I write. So I remember sitting at the end of the cycle of Set the World on Fire and just thinking like something has to change. I have to be able to figure out a way to for lack of a better term, lean into more, um, you know, what it is that I love about art and music, and which is comic books and characters and costumes and grand world building and stories and dystopian futures and design and all this stuff that means the world to me. How can I combine the, you know, sort of 
glam rock elements of what Blackville has sort of morphed into, but bring it to a truly theatrical place. And that's sort of where it was born. And so I was sitting on a flight um, at the end of that tour, and I wrote out everything that Wretched and Divine, in my mind, was going to be. And I always start um, every record with a color palette. So I think in my head what the colors are that the record is going to be. So with Wretched and Divine, it was sky blue, uh, brown, and black. That was the, the color palette that it started with. And so it helps me for whatever reason. If you notice, every one of our albums has a different color scheme um, to the, yep. the typography yep. and everything else. And that always starts first for me for whatever reason. Like I always see the colors first and then I, it helps me build what the world looks like. And even in some cases, I have it didn't even happen. Like the, the Phantom Tomorrow Part 2, like I already had sketched out what the cover would be and the color scheme and everything else. So it's while maybe it'll happen one day, it's not happening now. To be able to, for the first time in my career, build a world that didn't exist before and to meet with John, like every part of it, the collaboration with Richard Villa and Pat Fogarty on building out that world, the meeting John Feldman and explaining this, here I am, this 20-year-old kid he's met for the first time saying like, hey, we're going to make this grand concept record with a movie that's associated with it and all this shit, you know, in, in, in inter interstitial dialogue and all this stuff. And for him to get behind it and go like, Fuck yeah, we're doing this, then to sitting down with the band and going, hey, guys, so here's the wild ones and here's these costumes that I've drawn for us and here's all this stuff and everybody getting behind that and everybody agreeing that this is what we needed to do moving forward. All of that made it the most special experience because while I've had great experiences since then, and I've enjoyed the process of making records, the first time you ever get to be truly free as an artist and build something that is on a scale that you've never experienced before, I think will always remain the most special. Well, you guys nailed it because Wretched Honestly. and Divine is phenomenal. We appreciate you, all, yeah. all the hard work with Wretched and Divine. Like well, that it's just even is... when you listen to it, like the Jinx doing all of the strings at home and coming up with these incredible mm -hmm. parts. Like I was listening to uh, the set list and I think it was New Year's Day had come on and it wasn't part of the set list, but you know, Spotify would be like, hey, what about this guy or whatever? And I was just thinking like that, that middle part where Jinx does the violin part in New Year's Day, like is so insane when you think about like, Structurally, it would never even make sense to put that into a song, but it's so important to the song. And I'm just, I'm so proud of what everyone in the band did uh, towards that record. And if you haven't seen it, um, Joe, who Joe Flanders, my cousin, did a yeah. in the studio documentary of the process of making that record um, that I think is somebody's ripped it and put it on YouTube or something. It's somewhere, but it's, yeah, it exists somewhere. Um, <laughs> And hopefully, you know, people can find it and watch it if you're interested in that record. That record, that album is truly a masterpiece. And I, I think it's a, 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 one of the top favorites for a lot of the BVB armies, for sure. So <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate that. The thank next God. question is, out of all of the Blackfoot Brights merch that has been released to fans, which has been your favorite and why? There's two things I don't believe either of them sold. Uh, and it's a, a real shame. One was the, on. I think they were both on the fourth record. One was the baseball jersey that we had on Warp Tour 2015. And uh, the other one was the hockey jersey that we had uh, on the winter tour. We did a Canadian North American tour, mostly Canada, and it was in the winter. And we had a hockey jersey that was so cool. And I, I, no one bought it. Like it was, it was like the least popular merchandise item every night. And I was like, 
I kind of had an anticipation because the price point had to be super high because oh. it was so expensive to make. So yeah, that's and you know what? And I honestly love this year all of the limited pieces that we've been doing. I've been having a lot of fun, sort of working with with the companies that are curating those. And I loved what we did with the uh, Rucking Fountain with the uh, with the the ten year anniversary stuff was really cool. So some of the recent stuff's been really great. And then what just came out, we did the um, Outcast stuff, which is always. Cool for for me and our family to be able to incorporate my grandfather into something because ultimately he's the one who read uh, that thing that I wrote, um, and to be able to write it out and and have you know I, I mean that's you have that's my real handwriting on that shirt if you got one of those I that's I did it got, on I did it on an index card we both so, yeah. got it we both yeah. got one so we freaked out when we saw it just like nostalgia yeah absolutely. <laughs> I don't remember the, I do remember the baseball tee from Warp Tour, but I don't remember yeah. the hockey one. Yeah, neither yeah, it do was, I. It was only, you probably wore, it was only on tour. I don't think we ever sold it online. Oh, and even it so, was, I don't remember was, photos of it. Yeah, because no one bought yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> I think I might have been, me and uh, I think like Matt Steele, who used to work for us, were the only people who wore the jersey. Like I'd wear it every day because I loved it so much on the tour, but oh I don't know if my dad has one to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I must dig I'll have to look it now. up at some point. If maybe somebody watching this remembers the the <laughs> it had the the demon from the fourth record. Or I'll show you. This is also great. This is a fan uh gave us this a long time ago. This was from the baseball jersey. If you remember, there was a little version of this guy wearing Yeah. He, yeah, he was like running on the jersey. It was little Mr. Red. So I've yeah, got this. I can't in my recall. I can't recall. I felt like maybe I seen a photo of it, then I'm like, yes, I did see it, but like I can't recall right now. <laughs> It's a shame. It was a, it was a damn good one. Well, if there's ever a chance you guys are able to get more hockey ones in, Ruth and I will definitely snatch those up in a heartbeat. We'll see. Maybe we can do a re-release of something nobody liked. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. hey guys, I know you. I know you haven't been asking for this, but here it is. <laughs> um, so, what is the creative uh, creative process like when making a new song? Um, everyone's different. You know, sometimes one person will just have the full clear vision of what it's going to be. Um, and then I'll ultimately just write lyrics sometimes, you know, like in the case of the vengeance that was musically, um, melodically, everything sort of driven by Jake, like he really had that idea. And then I knew what I wanted to say. So I just wrote the lyrics to it. Um, and that structure was pretty much built out, you know, sometimes in the case of savior two, that was a song that Jinx wrote all the music to and had a melody that he came up with. But it never, like we had talked and it never really felt like it was as grand as it as it could be um, because that song was so beautiful uh, in terms of the instrumental. So it took a year or so and then we worked on it as a band and then with our producer, Eric Ron at the time and really built out what it was. And then by then, I, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted to say on that one. So some songs for me lyrically come pretty quickly. Some songs, it takes some time, you know, and everyone's different i would say there's one song career-wise there's no there's two songs career-wise where it was like a five-minute process of writing the lyrics because i just had this complete vision of what the song was all the way through and one was the first savior um where i mean i, I it probably was at the most 45 minutes that it took me to to write the whole thing out because i knew exactly jinx had been playing the riff in the studio all day and i had just sort of it had weaved into my mind and I put together what I wanted to say there. The other one is, it's kind of a random one, but Resurrect the Sun. I was sitting, it was the first apartment that Juliet and I had in Hollywood. And I it was like the middle of the night 
and I went out on the porch, and this is when I still smoke cigarettes. I went on the porch and I just had the whole song done. And then I went in the next day to Feldman's and I was like, here's this thing that I wrote. And then we, we tracked it that day. Oh. So it's, everyone is different and it, and it comes creatively from different people all the time. Um, you know, the spark of an idea when you're in a band can really come from anyone. You know, there's some stuff I think, I want to say it was, do you guys know, now Now I'm forgetting, uh, there was, what was the song, I might be off about this, but there was one of the bonus released Blackfell songs, it wasn't Victory Call and it wasn't Let You Down, there was one other one on the, on the Wretched and Divine Extended Edition. Oh, Revelation? There we go. <laughs> Revelation, I think, and if I, I could be wrong about this, and, I, and if it wasn't, if Jake thought of the riff originally, then I apologize. But I think Cece was like, had thought of a riff years before and, and brought that riff up like a million times. And we would always be like, eh, you know what I mean? Like, and he kept bringing like, I got this riff. So, uh, you know, it, it really does come from different places always. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not just for a songwriter, but like even for an artist for me, or it's like inspiration comes anywhere to like, or it might for me take me a long time to create a master artwork or within five minutes i know what i'm gonna do get it down on paper so yeah it's i think that's always part of the creative process for anybody you know and, and with you guys being visual artists and doing makeup and, and painting and all that stuff like you know sometimes it just happens and it's exactly what you saw in your in your mind's eye and then sometimes you're like i don't i'm trying to make this happen. like i don't know what <laughs> i'm doing and you just make whatever the best of what you can and there's I would say there's a handful of Blackfell songs. I always call them Andy Mad Libs because they're songs, they're typically unreleased songs and people be like, okay, great one is uh, Sons of Night. People love that song inexplicably. Uh, and I appreciate if you love that song, but for me, there's almost no song in our catalog that the lyrics mean less to me because I could not think of what to write. And so, so much of it is just nonsense where I was like, oh, f this rhymes with this. Like it's not, it means apps. So I apologize if that's, if that's a meaningful song for you. But to me, I can't figure out what the f I was trying to say because at the time, like we were, we were late in the recording process, and I loved the riff and the idea, but I just, I could never crack the code on it. So it, it wound up being a bonus song because I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about here. Even I don't know what that song's about. Now I'm gonna have to go listen to that song again. <laughs> it's not a bad song. Like I, I think I did a good job of hiding the fact that I'm saying absolutely nothing. Like if you read through the lyrics, there's no narrative at all. It's just sort of. It's just like Mad Libs of things that sound vaguely like I would say in a song. You know what I mean? Like it's not, there's no real depth. <laughs> I mean, it almost gives like superhero vibes it in does. a way. It does, yeah. Well, good. I'm glad there's some vibes that you've been taking from. Our next question is, did you ever think the fandom, the Blackfoot Brides Army would be this big and supportive of one another when you started Blackfoot Brides? I had always hoped to be a part of something that felt like a, a, a inclusive community for people that needed it. And as a kid, I didn't really feel like I had that. You know, I would, I, I've said before, I was really into punk rock bands and that environment really wasn't particularly inviting for me as a kid. You know, I didn't really feel like I belonged. And to this day, you know, I've said it before, Blackfield exists in kind of this interesting space where there's a lot of bands that are alternative or different or, you know, speak to the idea of the different type of person. But even from those bands and those fan bases, sometimes Blackfield fans are treated as outcasts within the outcasts. And so to me, I've always felt like existing as this other or existing as this thing that maybe is, a, is you know, there's that old expression, a man without a country or whatever it is, like the idea of having this place where you sort of feel outside circumstantially outside of what is cool or what is relevant or whatever else to, to the mainstream um, to know that there's a community of people who 
have been able to gravitate towards that and that the art that I've been a part of creating has been, I guess, informative into how those people find positivity, how they can take dark times and circumstances and find ways to turn them around, um, to know that my lyrics that I've written over the years have been able to speak to people directly that are going through tough times and need it. Those are the things that, regardless of how big, small, whatever the fan base is or will be or was, to know that that has been part of my life. And that's something that when I'm long gone, to know that I, the things that I help create have had a positive impact is, uh, you know, the most important part of all of this. Well, I can definitely say, at least from Nichols and I experience from interaction with the BBB Army, it's nothing been positive. We are a family in this fandom. We support one another on side projects, whatever we're doing. Or if someone is just down, like we're there's always someone in the Blackwood Brights Army that we can go to and talk to. Yeah, and I think that that's a really fun and cool thing to have, to be able to, you know, because I'm not... It's funny to say I'm a huge fan of Blackville, obviously. It's, you know, it's an important thing to me, but I'm not, I'm not a fan. I can never be. I can't ever know what it is. Just like, you know, growing up, uh, Matt Skiba can never know what his songs meant to me. He can know what they meant to him, but he can never know what they meant to me. So to be able to witness it is so much fun because while I love the fact that you guys do a show about this band every week it's it's not my experience that you're speaking on it's the experience that you have with the stuff that i have been lucky enough to be a be a part of putting out so um yeah and i and look if there are just like anything there are negative people there's negative people on the internet there's people who have you know a picture of me as their display image and all they do is talk to other people all day long and are super mean and that to me is not representative of I don't view that as the BVB army as you speak about it. Like to me, that's this sort of ancillary other thing that isn't part of what this community is all about and the people who are on your show and the people who lift each other up. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm so thankful to know that the core of what this is has been so important to people for so long and hopefully will continue to be. 100%. <laughs> all right. So before I have to go, you may have one more question. I don't know what it is, but I want to quickly, I want to give you both questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna. They're gonna have two questions for each of you. Okay. So one for each of you. What is your favorite uh, Black Veil album cover? Um, I'm like trying to look here now. Uh, I'm. I'm. It's a tie for me with Wretched and Divine and Phantom Tomorrow. Ooh. I mean, okay, that's old favorite. and new. Love it. I was gonna say mine. I don't know. I, I would have to say set the world on fire. Not just because it's my favorite album, but I just think it's very like rock and roll and just it is classic. yeah it's classic and and uh richard who you know painted all those album covers did an incredible job so um all right so that's good and then the other one is all right what blackville show have you seen photos or video of over the years that you were not at that you wished you could be at london show lost it all with lilith sar <laughs> okay, well, right. okay so that's... the reason i ask these two questions is for me, I, those are two things I think about all the time when it comes to bands that I love growing up, especially like I think about how much either I was there or not. Like, you know, when I was really young and I would think about like, I wish that I could have seen the era before I found out about AFI. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to have seen AFI on the Art of Drowning era and I didn't know about them then. So, you know, so that's why I ask those questions, because those are those are thought experiments I do all the time because I love album cover art and I love to think about like. Where would I, where could I not have been that I wish I could have been to see these fans? We have me? one uh, final question, Nicole, asking okay. that 
what the iconic silly question we need to know the answer for <laughs> okay if you could have any five liquids come out of each of your fingers what would they be this sounds like my kind of question to tell you the truth. <laughs> if i could have five liquids come out of my fingers what would they be any, uh, any liquids any liquids yes. any liquids uh barbecue sauce on the main trigger finger just, you know so i could <laughs> sort of barbecue sauce people you know nonchalantly i would have barbecue sauce on both of these fingers so that if i it, like if i did like the finger <laughs> pow pow just shooting people with barbecue sauce <laughs> i would have honey mustard on these fingers because then if i did this and that kind of then it, you're getting barbecue and honey mustard right to the face olive oil in both of the thumbs uh because that'd be beneficial for cooking you know i could just sort of like uh, give it one of these yeah obvious thing water in the in the ring fingers I feel like water's a staple <laughs> gotta do yes. it gotta do it and then uh the final liquid uh boy this is this one's hard but i i know what it is the syrup for a tiger's blood uh, snow cone this is my favorite snow cone flavor they're hard to come by tiger's blood it's cherry and pineapple and uh it would be pre-mixed and at all times if i had any amount of ice i could just point those pinkies there and make myself a tiger's blood snow cone and so that would be it i i have no regrets about these decisions by the way i feel 100 <laughs> percent not what we were expecting at all oh no <laughs> Look, guys, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel very confident in my answers. So <laughs> we love it. <laughs> well, I just again, just thank you so much for coming on. This honestly means a lot to us. It was a wonderful opportunity just to speak down with you and talk to you. So again, just thank you for all that you do for the fans, Blackville Brides, and just everything. Honestly, like we can't express how grateful we are for just everything you have done. Well, before I go, I do want to say, um, you know, I'm a person that I don't go on social media a lot. I'm a, I'm sort of a, a more reserved person, especially in my old age. Uh, I don't I don't love engaging, but I do appreciate and I know the hard work that you guys put into the show. And both of you have been fans for so long. Um, you know, whether it's Nicole, I know that you've the the black veil tattoos that we've seen in meet and greets over the years and. Uh, Ruth, obviously, for anybody who doesn't know, Ruth uh, helps us with the TikTok that we have. Like, just for years, you guys have been a staple in the fan base and the community and what you do for other fans to have this outlet to speak uh, about something that they're passionate about means the world to all of us in the band, means the world to all the other fans. So again, I encourage anybody, this is your first time watching this, watch all the episodes, go all the way back. They're talking like, you know, I think I think you guys were talking about the Phantom Tomorrow and all the theories about the different characters and stuff. So, you know, uh, please go watch all the episodes, um, support them because it's, it's a really cool thing to have the opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, talk to, talk to fans about stuff that you're passionate about. You know, I, every week I listen to three people I don't know, talk about Batman and what's happening in the world of Batman on a podcast. And I, and I engage with that because it's something that I'm really passionate about. So if you're passionate, about this band watch their show and to both of you my my most sincere and earnest thank you thank you thank you thank you for doing this thank you for supporting us for so long and thanks for letting you know a silly weirdo like me uh entertain you for the, for this many years and i hope i get to continue to do that
<laughs> we are looking forward to it. <laughs> yes. All right, guys, thank you so much, and, uh, and I'll see you next time, all right? Thank you. All right, thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.